You say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh wow do we have a great show for you today. I'm going to tell you something. Here's the deal. Uh, You know what? If you don't think that you could improve your communication, you're wrong. (laughs) And here's here's what I've learned about this book. First of all, this book just, you, you know I read every book on this show, but this one went from my brain to my soul. It really, it really, really did. Uh, we all deal with conflict. We all want to believe that we're better communicators than we really are. Uh, we all want to think that we have somehow mastered this art. And, uh, you know, listen, we haven't. We haven't. We need help. Well, guess what? I've got the person today who's going to help us. Yeah. Her name's Denise Blank. She wrote this book called River Logic. It's into the secondary titles, Tools to Transform Resistance and Create Flow in All of Our Relationships. Don't let that title fool you. It is so much deeper than that. And that was an intentional pun uh, to be uh, at, a, at a river. It's so much deeper and it really does go deeper. And I'm going to tell you something It's helped me. It's going to help me. And I'm, this is a book that stays on the bookshelf, right? River Logic. It's going to stay. And I believe it's going to be one for you because this is going to help you not only your personal relationships is going to help you in professional relationships as well. And I believe in her and I believe in this book. It is that valuable. I can't say it enough. Before we get to her, though, let's do what we do every week, right? Listen, we're four-part people. We're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. And we do this thing on the show where we rate you. You rate yourself on a scale of one to ten. One being, ugh, I'm not doing very good in that area. Uh, ten, I'm doing outstanding, couldn't do any better. So here's how it works. So if we take the physical area and you were to evaluate yourself, on eating right, getting enough exercise, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, five being average, what number would you give yourself? Whatever that number is, I don't want you to panic, okay? It's okay. So if you say you're a two, all right, well, what can you do to get yourself to a 2.5, all right? That's just a starting number, all right? Here's the deal, though. We need to be doing something every day, right? Whether it's eating right, maybe getting a little bit more exercise, maybe we haven't drank enough water, right? Maybe we're not getting enough sleep. Whatever it is, we could do something to improve ourselves physically, all right? The second number is this mental intellectual number, right? We can't be a couch potato thinking that everything is just going to, we're going to absorb like a sponge. That's not the way it works. We have to be an active participant in our learning and we have to be in constant learning. Matter of fact, Denise says it, we have to be constant learners, even with in every area of our life, right? And if we're going to grow in knowledge and wisdom of who we are and what we do, right? And there's multiple ways to do that. Read a book. Like River Logic is going to help you grow in the intellectual, emotional, mental area. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself intellectually? All right, that's your second number. Third number is the emotional number. And I break it down really simply. Um, you know, as a psychological professional, there's there's two ways I look at this. One is, you know, how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? By the way, add conflict to that. Add conflict how well are you able to control your emotions? By the way, you could choose to do that. Denise talks about that, actually, in her book. It's pretty cool. You have choices. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is, how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? Mm. Mm. And that's active listening. And it's a skill that you can develop over time. By the way, guess who talks about that in her book? Denise <laughs> Blank talks about that in her book, too. 
right? So on a scale of one to 10, if you were to evaluate yourself in those two areas, what number would you give yourself? And then finally, the the fourth area, the spiritual area, right? Listen, you know, you move the physical, the mental, emotional, what do you have left? Well, there's the spirit of who we are. We connect somewhere spiritually, you know, and, and what brings you back to a sense of peace in the midst of chaos? What brings you back to a sense of centeredness when your world seems to be crumbling around, right? And maybe it's God, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's nature, maybe it's something else that connects with you. The fact of the matter is, what is it that brings you back to that center core peace in the midst of a VUCA world, right? Right. And we, she talks about that, you know, but she also talks about something else though in here too. I'll let her explain that. But, you know, a volatile, uncertain, right? This, this crazy world that we live in. What brings you back to that center point, right? Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you this question. Is it working? Because if it's not, then you need to change it, right? So you've got four numbers, right? There's four numbers like the air and the tires of your car. If the air and the tires of your car are not at the right height, what happens? Car veers. Over the t- course of time, it, it starts to lean, and you can ruin the car over the course of time. And if all four tires are too low, well, you're going to not only ruin the tires, but you can ruin the car. And speaking of someone who has her tires at the right level, her name is Denise Blank, and she is a trainer. She's a trainer, mediator, uh, facilitator, emotional intelligence coach. She's also a teacher of somatics. Uh, she's the founder of River, River Logic Partners, a leadership coaching and consulting firm that supports leaders, teams uh, around issues of communication, conflict, and change. Uh, with the, she has a foundational belief that uh, strong leadership requires candor, courage, and compassion. I agree with her on every aspect of that. She teaches skills to tackle tough conversations, which also create cultures of high trust. She helps others to build deeper and more meaningful connections, even across their wide differences. Uh, her latest book, River Logic, Tools to Transform Resistance and Create Flow in All of Our Relationships, is a distillation of her journey and research thus far, uh, using the metaphor of the river and qualities of the river as our teacher all with the hope of creating a world where we have more self-awareness, civility, and openness with each other. And as a side note, she loves to swim in natural bodies of water anytime that she can, hike in the hills. And evidently, she likes to do Pilates too. And adventure, uh, she likes to do adventure travel in the off-beaten path. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. And welcome for the first time to A New Direction, Denise Blank. Welcome, Denise. Thank you. I love that introduction. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, well, you know, it really goes hand in hand with your book. <laughs> and so we've got seven chapters. I don't know that we're going to be able to cover them all. But we've got seven chapters here that are just, I think, are full of powerful information. I just want to jump into chapter one. And chapter one is choose to be present. And maybe what we should do is we should talk about that, how the river uh, actually is a great metaphor for us to communicate in all sorts of matters, in whether it's conflict or otherwise, right? Because you say the first chapter one is choose to be present and it's current, right? So you have this little secondary title of each chapter, it's current, the flow of water influenced by gravity. So let's talk about presence and let's talk about the river, the current, and then let's talk about being present in our conversations and present with other people why that's so critically important, why I believe probably, and you do too, that it's a foundational step before we move forward into other areas of communication. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it starts with presence. It's That's why it's chapter one. Mm-hmm. If, it's very foundational. I even say the quality of our communication is only equal to the quality of our presence. Mm-hmm. And 
You know, I started thinking and actually asking other people, who's fully present in your life? Hmm. And people were like, um, um, um. <laughs> and it was really hard for people to name one or two people. And I started thinking about this for myself. And I have a meditation practice. I had some really senior teachers. I totally feel that are. Um, I do have, I'm lucky to have a few friends. I want to be that person for other people. But we are in a world that kind of fights against it. Yeah. So um, this is an aspiration. And I want people, I don't want to get too out there, like, you know, or have people feel bad. I feel like it literally is a practice and an aspiration of choosing to be present. And there are things we can do to fight the forces, Mm -hmm. the forces of the world, which are massive in terms of what I describe as like the hurry culture, the intensity that we live in the digital culture of 24 seven and with all the focus of keeping us online and clicking again and again. Um, And then what I describe as probably the biggest distractor of all, which is our mind, the monkey mind. And so we have to, the word choose to be present is how I titled that chapter because um, that's where That's where it lands. It's got to be this intention. We're not very good at living in the now. Uh, Matter of fact, you point that out. And it's not always easy uh, because of all these distractions. You know, monkey mind, 24-7 digital world, which I've written tons about as well, and and mindsets and how our mind can easily distract us for sure. I, I, I often wonder why, if that's always been the case, it's just that now we have other excuses or we've, or is it something that we're just now seeing because we're even, because it's just so much easier to see that we don't live in now. What, what are your thoughts? Do you think that it's always been this way? I, I kind of believe it has to be have always been this way. Well, I think the mind moves, the mind thinks, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the mind does. So right. it's not, so the practice of meditation is working with it. I think when people are more nature-based, mm-hmm. In connection that way, it's a little slower. It's a little slower. I mean, we are just in a speedy world. So I think it is more intense mm-hmm. now. And I think the fact of, I mean, you look at you look at kids and they are looking down at their devices, mm-hmm. not just kids, everyone. Um, they're not looking into your eyes a lot. In fact, I hear employers have to teach kids when they have their first job to look at a person and talk to the person. So we are um, challenged with that. Mm. And I think we that's why we have to make it a choice to be present. You know, there are camps now where they're like digital detox camps. Mm-hmm. Where literally you walk in and the first thing they do is you have to hand them your phone. Right, 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 right. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever been a part of this. Have you ever been a part when you've been out to dinner and everybody puts their phone in the middle of the table and the, the first person who touches their phone has to pay for the check? No, that's interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. 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 I was hearing, you know, who's, you know, who Simon Sinek is. Oh yeah, of course. And so he was talking about 
I just heard this um, maybe a couple weeks ago where he was just saying that even having the phone on the table or turning the yeah. phone over on the table is a problem and that we need to actually remove it. And he's he's pretty radical. He thinks that in schools, the teachers really need to take the phones away. And in meetings, we need to take the phones away because what happens, even though people get annoyed and anxious initially, is what happens is they start talking to each other. Mm. 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 Lo and behold. Yeah, how about that? Isn't that something? <laughs> well, I think, and I think this leads us into mindfulness, right? Because because of the distractions, we're not very mindful, right? And and I, I don't I don't think that we can be in a state of mindfulness when, of course, when we have all these distractions. Help us get to mindfulness. So I use this definition from John Kabat-Zinn, and he was the founder of the mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I think he's the first person who started using the term. Um, but he was working with a clinic and helping people with pain. But his definition is choose to be where you are, paying attention on purpose, as if your life depended on it. Mm. And that idea of choose to be where you are, you know, like we're, we're sitting with each other right now. And if I am mindful, I can feel my connection with my butt on the chair. I feel my feet on the ground. I'm hearing my voice talking to you. It's pretty quiet in my house. But if I really pay attention, I live in a town where there's a lot of trains. Sometimes I can hear a train, you know, but it's just like starting to really listen to sound. But you could do it with anything that's sensory, you know, right. I, you know, looking out and really seeing brings you into the now. Hearing brings you into the now. Smelling, like if you really just stop on your walk and smell a rose, mm. you're here. Um, taste, like, you know, if you like food and you really allow yourself to just close your eyes and taste it and really, really experience it, you're in the now. So it doesn't have to be like sitting on a meditation cushion. Right. Right. You know, I find it interesting when I go back home to Nebraska, uh, which is my homeland, and I grew up in a town of 119 people. And wow. I stay with my best friend of 50 plus years and we sit on his front porch as the sun goes down and I tell people we actually listen to the orchestra of the birds quiet down so that the orchestra of the crickets and the frogs and the other nighttime things like the coyotes start creating their own orchestra and while I'm, we're sitting out there it's amazing how time just seems to slow down and speed up. I know, I, I know it sounds like a very weird thing to say, but it's like all of a sudden you get re in, re back in touch with your senses again. You know, you start, I know when I go back home, you know, you start noticing not only the sounds, but the smells 
smell of the, you know, whatever is in the field growing or, you know, the smell of the soil when you're out walking, you know, the smell of the air, right? And, you know, we take walks, you know, on the old gravel road and the gravel crunches under your feet. You know, you hear the little stream rolling by that we used to fish in as kids. And I'm always amazed, you know, how much, you know, you look up and there's stars because there's no lights, right? And there's so many stars, you know, when it's pitch black. So many stars that we just don't even know. We live in a city. We just don't see them. But when you're in the middle of the country and there's no light and the only thing that produces light is the stars, it's one of the most amazing moments of all of a sudden you realize that there's just so much that we speed by through life that we just don't see whether it's because of habit or something else. And it really does ground us, doesn't it? Yes. And I, I just want to make an observation if I can, mm-hmm. like when you were, you were, I felt like you were leading me through a guided imagery as you were <laughs> describing those qualities mm-hmm. of home and so descriptively and there was a slowing down as you were speaking mm-hmm. and it, like I could feel you feeling it. Oh yeah. I just noticed that. And it's what's so interesting to me is it's like, it can be in a second, a millisecond yeah. a shift. It's not, it's not this huge retreat. We have to go on and pay all this money and it's, yeah, it's available. Yeah. It may be more real because I'm headed back there in a couple of weeks to go be with my friend for a week. And I'm excited to sit on that front porch and take the walks. And he's got a couple old tractors, you know, from the 40s and 50s. And we get on those old tractors and we just roll down the road, old gravel road that we grew up as kids. And um, the feel of that tractor shaking underneath your feet and the, and, uh, the you know, sound. You're smiling when you're saying it. And what's so interesting to me about presence is like presence equals joy. It does. It just does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. It really does. I, 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 and, and I, and here's the thing is I don't have to go there to do that, but I don't take the time to do it where I'm at. And I wonder how many people do. Right. Well, you could kind of tell what's going on in this world by just looking at magazines. I mean, you can't get away from the word mindfulness. It's like everywhere. It's gone mainstream. And there is just this huge need, whether it's apps on your phone or um, programs and organizations or, you know, just constant kind of coaching from people like you need to slow down, you need to, because we are not designed as humans to keep, we're not machines to keep moving faster, faster, faster. And it's really hard because we're talking about communication. It's really hard to connect with somebody else if you're multitasking and you're not looking at them and you're not feeling them. Um, And so this human connection, which is kind of essential for, I think, like happy humans and health mm. is, I mean, we have, we need some tools, which is kind of partly why. Yeah. Why you wrote the book. 
yeah, I mean, it's what the book's about, right? Is you've given us these tools. And so I think we can walk away with, start with your sensory as a way to start getting more present, right? Is that a good place to start? Yeah. And, you know, I use, the, I use water a lot in the river. Um, I mean, I named my book River Logic and it came from my consulting firm, which was named River Logic, is named River Logic Partners. And I've been unpacking how the river informs communication for the last, I don't know, 11 years. And and I thought that the, the river just has this incredibly inspiring and instructive style because the river will keep going and it's got this huge destination to get to the sea but in order to get there it hits all kinds of problems Mm -hmm. you know it gets polluted and dammed up and there's toxicity sometimes and I started really seeing wow that's similar to us Um, we get stuck. I mean, so many people aren't talking to each other. So especially in a polarized America today. Um, and the future does not look promising if we can't move through these areas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have really taken it on in the process of writing more and more about how do we, how do we reach each other across our differences? Yes. And Yes. The water, um, you know, I use a lot of metaphor throughout the book, and I started thinking about shape-shifting. Water is the ultimate shape-shifter. Mm. It will take um, the shape of whatever it's in. Mm. Yet water never stops being water. Right. So I started looking at that as like, wow, um, we could be with people who are very different. We could be in different areas, but that doesn't mean we have to let go of what we care about, right. what our values are. Right. And so that it kind of, it's not a binary. It's not an either or. Right. Right. Yeah. Her name is Denise Blank. Uh, the book entitled River, entitled River Logic, Tools to Transform Resistance and Create Flow in All of Our Relationships. It's absolutely fabulous. I'm telling you, you should get yourself a copy. It's going to help you personally. It's going to help you professionally. It's going to help you in every relationship and every thing that you do in your life. I promise it will. You're listening to her here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, whether you're recovering from an injury, surgery, or suffering from everyday aches and pains, maybe you're just you know having trouble moving in everyday life, or, or maybe you're a professional athlete. Listen, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy can help you uh, because they will tailor a customized treatment program for you. When you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors, for more than 38 years, they've been helping people all over the world transition in life. Yes, because think about it, every place you've ever lived, right, has been a transition in your life. And they know how to take the stress out of that that transition. They know how to help you get through that transition, especially when it comes to selling and buying your home. So when you're ready to do that, ready for that transition, start with Linda Craft Team Realtors. You can find her and and all of them at lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Denise Blank, her book uh, entitled River Logic, uh, Tools to Transform Resistance and Create Flow in All of Our Relationships. It's uh, it is just a fabulous book. Um, it has been a book that has inspired me, influenced me, motivated me, challenged me, convicted me uh, in so many ways of how I can improve 
in my uh, ability to communicate, be more present in, in not only in my personal world, but certainly even in my professional world. And it's a book that I, I just can't say enough about because it really is uh, a book that you, I really do feel that everybody needs to read. I, I'm not, I'm not making that up. I'm just being completely honest because it is that kind of a book. Uh, Denise chapter two is listen with heart and curiosity and use the term confluence, which is where two rivers meet. Help us understand confluence and, uh, and where these two rivers meet and why heart and curiosity are so critical to us. Oh, such a great question, Jay. Thank you. Well, confluence is when two rivers become one stream. So I started really thinking about it in terms of how when we listen well, we actually build this stream of understanding. Mm. So each of us come away, speaker and listener, understanding each other better when it's done well, mm-hmm. when we really um kind of get underneath what's going on with somebody. Most of the time we don't do that. Like one of the things that I was thinking about is how uh, how rarely people ask questions to each other. Mm-hmm. Or certainly if they do ask a follow-up question, mm-hmm. like what's really going on underneath that? Mm-hmm. And what what you know, even to begin to think why why might someone think the way they think? or feel the way they feel, what what is motivating them? And if we can actually do that, get beyond kind of like um, the ideology into what I've heard is the biology, like who who are you? And, um, and we connect, I believe that the bridge building is possible with everyone. And that if we spend enough time, we find those connections. Mm-hmm. And, but we have to spend the time and we have to care about doing that. So listening with heart and curiosity um, are, are really important components. Yeah. Like we could listen with heart and not curiosity and we won't get there or right. curiosity, and not heart. Right. I get, I get it because both are, both are just, it, it, you can't have one without the other. It's, it's, the more you think through that, right? I mean, if if you stop, if everybody out there, right, whether you're watching us on DBTV or uh, you're listening to us by podcast or radio, if you just stop and think about it for a second, what she just said, if you listen with heart but without curiosity, what do you have? And then if you listen with curiosity but without heart, what do you really have? Well, now you, if you listen with curiosity without heart, it's interrogation, Right? If you listen with heart without curiosity, well, there's nothing more to do because you're just sitting there emotion emoting emoting with the person without any conversation. Right? So we become stuck, right? So you have to have you have to you have to have both. Oh, I get it. It's that yeah, yeah, right, right, right. That's that's good. See, this is why you wrote the book. I've loved that. Um, you talk about challenging our mental filters as being part of confluence about that we have to challenge our own and and you talk also about all sorts of things mentally which i love help us understand about challenging our mental filters before we enter in a little bit more into heart and curiosity well the way it works you know when we're with somebody who we don't agree with Mm. start noticing what's going on in your head because there's a voice there's usually a voice that says they're full of it. 
<laughs> or I don't, I don't agree. Or um, yeah, 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 I know that. Um, or uh, I actually read another article and they're completely full of it. They don't know what they're <laughs> so There's this voice, we're calling that voice our filter. Right. Okay. And like, or bias, you know, it's, it's, it, and we all have it. Like if you have a brain, you have biases and biases have a, a purpose. They're like little shortcuts for us because we, the world moves too quickly. So we come up with a little shortcut. We understand this. We agree with this. We don't have to think it through. Therefore we can move quicker. Mm. The problem is we have faulty reasoning. Mm, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have biases. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting in the way of really listening. We're not listening with our bias. Right. We're not listening with heart and curiosity. We're not at all. And so um, beginning to what I call interrogate our biases are really important, which is what's the evidence that I have to think that sure. what I'm saying is right? What's what, what are the facts? Right. You know, what if they're right? You know, right. what if a, even a part of you, them are right? Right. And that slows it down and allows you to become more curious right. and connect. Right. And that, you know, I, I think of that as like kind of combating that kind of, you know, you're no longer um, one. You can become, you can join them. You can get into confluence if you do that. And it's not easy because we like to be right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, the, the biggest one that I think we fight, we don't want to admit it, but it's really true, is confirmation bias. And we do that in two ways that I see after, you know, as I dig into confirmation bias. One is we want to confirm that what we believe is right, but then we also want to confirm that everything that the other person says is wrong. And so we look only for those things that confirm our beliefs rather than being open enough to saying, well, instead of confirming that everything that they're saying is wrong, what am I looking for that says, where are they right? Yeah. It's like building a case, lawyers call it, um, where you're starting to just really everything um, that, that fits my, my judgment already. So it is a practice to do this. And I, I think it's fascinating when you notice yourself really um, stubborn and opinionated mm. in those moments, that's a really good time to start interrogating your bias Yeah, and, yeah. Be, and be willing yeah. to explore that maybe there's a piece of what they're having to say, the other person that actually is right. And then I wonder if too, if there is this also this other piece where you start telling everybody because you believe you're so right. So you think that everyone should jump on your train, right? Because you've got that, you've got the, you, you, you've solved, you've solved our problems for us. And so you've got the right track. And so now you've got to, you feel like you've become this evangelist, uh, of whatever it may be. Um, that you have to evangelize to everybody. Well, this is the problem with you. This is the problem. This is the problem, right? And and then you just and then when they disagree with you, you confirm. There's that confirmation bias because we'll see they're just a denier, 
right? And it's it's a vicious circle. That yeah, is- and what you're describing, is, I use this language throughout the book of rock logic and river logic. So rock logic is this experience that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, we get rigid. We get like a rock, immovable. We're not right. willing to shift or change. And that we experience that a lot in ourselves, with each other. I mean, it's we're all, you know, some combination. But river logic, I'm saying, is really different, where we're more open and willing to listen and maybe even change our, our mind, mm-hmm. God forbid. I want to talk about one of the things that you talk about in this chapter that I thought was so critical that can help us overcome or help us get closer to heart and curiosity, and that's looping, the process of looping, because I think the process of looping is, first of all, it's, it, it reminds me of going back to school you know, and studying Carl Rogers uh, a little bit when I was in college and grad school. And so help us work through looping because looping is a great way in communication to help us kind of work through, I believe, to get us to heart and curiosity. Yeah, so looping is probably something a lot of your listeners know about, but maybe have not heard the term. So looping is somebody says something, but just because they said it and you heard it does not mean you really understood it or really heard it the way they intended and this is especially challenging when the emotions are high and you're upset. And so looping would be, let me see if I understand what you said, what you meant, and you move into it, or this is what I heard. And then you would say, did I, did I hear that right? Is that what you meant? And you give the other person the opportunity to expand. And usually you didn't hear it fully. And so they will add more. And then you would go back and say, okay, so it sounds like, and you would do it again. And what you notice, if you do it back and forth a couple times, is when you say it in a way that really truly is how they meant it, they will say almost always exactly. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. There will be a kind of emphatic quality. And usually there's a kind of, there's energy. They're happy because they have been heard. Mm-hmm. And that experience of being heard is, you know, just one of these human needs we have heard and understood. Yes. And so you would not do looping in every conversation. I mean, some things are so simple. Of course, you understand it. But most of the time, a lot of times, especially if someone's talking a lot, you might have to do a little time out and say, I just want to make sure I, I'm understanding or tracking you. And you would do it. I listen to a particular podcast every morning. It's from the New York Times called The Daily. And I am so struck by how the the main person, Michael Barbaro, does this incredibly well with all his guests. It just beautifully. It's an example of like skillful, masterful looping. Um so that's that's how it works. And that allows, you know, that idea of speaker and listener coming together. I mean, that's where confluence sort of happens. There's another piece to this though that I that you point out that is that we just overlook is that we know we spend we do spend a lot of time talking about listening to others. But then you point out to us, hold it here, are you listening to yourself? 
which which is really which I don't know that we do. I don't know how much time we actually spend listening to ourselves. Talk us through listening to ourselves and and you know in terms of what's going on with me and how that is part of our heart and curiosity piece. Well, this this quality of listening, you could maybe call it, it could become an Olympian sport because it really is, there's so much skill mm-hmm. and work that actually can be done with it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're listening really well, there's a lot going on. There's noticing them and body language and tone and cadence and a range of things, but then there's us and there is what's getting evoked, you know, as they're speaking. Um, Are you noticing your own biases? What's happening in your body? You know, it's like, can you tune in? Like sometimes I have like kind of some sort of an intuitive something. And if I could really tune in, there's something like it just like in my belly, I can feel it. Um, There's, you know, just tracking, like when you're really not paying attention and you can, you could notice that your mind is spinning off or you're what I call reloading, (laughs) you know, you're getting ready to share what you want to talk about, but all that is going on. And if you're tuned in, you can kind of like notice that you're not being present and let it go and see if you can really focus on them. But the, the tuning into yourself is, just as important as tuning into them. Yeah, that see, that's a piece that's I I don't know that in all the books I've read uh, on communication, I don't know that I've actually ever read that. I think you're the first person ever to be on this show that's actually talked about listening to yourself. I don't. I, I really don't. I really don't. I really don't know that I've actually read that anywhere. Which was why I found that piece so fascinating. And you know you. You, you also bring up something that I thought was from, um, is it Rod, is it Siegel? I think who has this acronym called WAIT, right? Why am I talking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do, you want to, do you want to talk about that? Because I, I found that, I, I found it funny, but at the same time, I found it relevant, uh, relevant of, of why am I talking, right? So help us out here. Well, some of us like to talk. I'm one of them, you know, so I have been, (laughs) yeah, you make your living doing it. So do I. Um, And yet the silence is where um, there's a lot going on if we allow it to emerge. Mm -hmm. And in the book I talk about, I use the acronym WAIT, why am I talking? And I have it literally over my desk and I'm a coach. And so I notice that when I can hold silence, even to the point where it's uncomfortable, doing it right now, (laughs) but um, what happens is something emerges and what comes is usually really worth the wait. Mm. Um, It gives the other person the time to sit with what's going on. And some people need more time than others. Some people are quick, quicker processors. Mm. Um, But I've really noticed it in coaching of just hanging out in that silence 
And it's something you notice with new coaches and people who are just starting is like this worry that I need to say something really smart. What am I supposed to say? What's the question I need to ask? And that is getting away from, from first of all, them, giving them an opportunity, the other person. And also it, it takes you away from being present. So, I, well, I was about to say here, you know, the only place where dead air is bad is on the radio, <laughs> right? I mean, because, right, you can't, you, you know, when you have dead air, right, because everybody wants to hear something going because it's constant, radio, it's constant. Uh, but when you're in conversation or you're dealing with conflict, that pause, that wait is critical to the conversation. And again, I'm doing that on purpose, right? I know that it's, it violates everything about radio. I'm sure there's radio stations when we took that pause, we're wondering, oh my gosh, did something happen? No, nothing happened. <laughs> we were fine, right? But it, it, we don't slow down enough because we just feel like we have to fill airspace, you know? And we're not on the radio. We're not on TV when we're in conversation. And we don't have to fill our space. I think, and I think that's beautiful. I really, I really do. I think that's absolutely, that's why I loved it. Uh, the book, River Logic. Uh, Denise Blank is with me, by the way, and uh, she wrote this outstanding book, Tools to Transform Resistance, Create Flow, All of Our Relationships. She's awesome, isn't she? I think so, too. You know what? You're listening to her here on A New Direction. Hey, listen, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, they think they should be yours, too, by the way. I really do. Uh, they have the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment available, including the Alter-G Anti-Gravity Treadmill. Try saying that three times real fast. The Normatec compression sleeves, the game ready. That's just a few. They're certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments like blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping, and that's just a few. So when you're ready for your epic relief, epic recovery, epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C. PT.com and Linda Craft Team Realtors. Listen, there is a reason why her clients call her legend of customer service. Her first client from 1985 still comes and sees her to this day. How about that, right? Well, it says something when you have that kind of longevity, but it also says that they help people in that transition of life because it's more than just buying and selling a house. It is part of a very important part of your life. So when you're ready to sell your home, buy your home. Go with the legends of customer service. Go with the transition experts. Go with Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with my friend, Denise Blank. I just, she doesn't know that we're friends, but we just became friends right now. And so she's going to be my friend uh, to do this because I'm really enjoying it. Um, hopefully you're enjoying this too, Denise. We're moving. Yeah, I am. I am. Um, all right, chapter three, uh, look for and move through openings and it's rivulet, the small river or stream. And I found this concept extremely interesting. So help us understand the rivulet and how that works uh, in terms of our communication. Well, I was watching, I was watching water at the Yuba River. I live in California and I was just watching how the water will like search for the openings, right? It's just constantly moving down cracks over the rock, under the rock, it, wherever it can find a way to move, it will move. And it, I'm writing the book and I'm starting to think about, wow, what if we could do this? If we could look for and move through the openings between us instead of where we're stuck, like where is the opening? And even to believe that there always is an opening, it's a mindset that we we can believe that. And so I started really 
riffing with myself about this and exploring how some people are doing this and how as a mediator, I'm always looking, I had never really kind of called it the opening, but that's really what it is, is where something shifts. All of a sudden I see some movement, you know, instead of being stuck, there's like a little smile or there's something that softens and starting to name it. And really, once we can begin to find those openings, we can start to open them up even more. But that idea of a rivulet, it doesn't have to be a huge opening. It can be just tiny mm. that we begin there. And the idea that we're not stuck, we don't have to be stuck mm. in life. Mm. And certain people that I described as the optimist are always looking for what's what's possible. What, what can we do here? Mm. Where the, the, the mindset of the pessimist is like, it's never going to work. It's, you know, Forget right. it. Right, We're right. done. We're toast. It's not. Um, and I, I I was describing in the book, I was listening to some guys talking in a cafe next to me when I was writing this chapter. And one guy said, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a possibilist. And I, <laughs> I remember like, what? And I started, I looked it up on Google, possibilist. So I, I went, I love that. I'm looking for possibilities. So I actually changed on my LinkedIn. I wrote Denise Blanc, author, possibilist. Um, and yeah. it's a word. It's a real word, by the way. It is. It is a real word. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's a real word. I, you know, I always find it interesting when I run across pessimists and optimists. A pessimist will say, commonly, well, I'm just being a realist. And an optimist never says that they, they'll never say that they're real. They'll never say it that way. They'll say, well, I have a reality, but I believe things are possible, right? I believe that there's something possible. You'll never hear a pessimist ever say that there's a possibility. And it's self-fulfilling, right? Right. It's the world that, right. you know, I'm self-fulfilling. If you don't believe, you'll you'll get you'll get that. If you right. do believe, you'll get that. So um, I, I, there's a lot of people who are um, recovering pessimists. <laughs> That's so awesome! I love that. We need to have an, their own group. I love that. <laughs> That's so good. You talk about in this chapter, pattern interrupt, and you say a quote here, you say, when overwhelmed, we tend to work for routine responses, grasping for old solutions that may have worked in our past, but are often not particularly helpful in the present. Pausing uh, helps us to slow down. Uh, talk through us, talk through that a little bit. Well, I think the tendency is to have a patterned response, something that's habitual. And when we're anxious, we will continually do that. And, you know, it's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting that it's going to work. Um, so when you're stuck, there is a new move that's required. Mm. And you don't know what it is, but pausing and it, we're not talking about it has to be a long pause. It right. could be just taking three breaths. But all of a sudden, op, options start to appear. 
Mm. It's like your, your sensory awareness expands. And I've been practicing this, like when I lose something mm. and you're looking at the same place, I know it was here. And then it's like, no, okay, let's, um, let's take a moment. Right. Let's pause. Let's open up and slow it down. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember I went there and I put it down there, but that is not the natural feeling when you're anxious, you're right. anxious, you speed up. So it, these ideas of a pattern interrupt is really important, you know, completely different topic, but so much of what's going on around violence and police violence is how fast the reaction is when um, they are in fear and, or anyone who's a criminal in jail, they'll say, how long did it take you? Like if they were shooting someone, it was an instantaneous. If they had taken a breath, they wouldn't have done it most of the time. Well, we just can't. Uh, we so it actually can change everything. Yeah. Well, we just can't. When we're under stress, it because what it does is it narrows our ability to expand, and we end up becoming more focused. And the more stress we get under, we get more focused, and we no longer can see opportunity because we're we're now we've tuned out because the stress. Well, if we go back to the sensory part, our sensory starts to become eliminated. We stop hearing, we stop smelling, we stop seeing our peripheral vision, we stop feeling, we get focused on what we're doing. And so everything becomes narrowed down when we're under stress. And so then we can't get it, come up with ideas to get out of wherever we're stuck when we're doing that. And, and taking that pause is so critical to getting out of being stuck in whatever part of your life you're in or whatever conversation you're in is to stop. And, and I, and, and that's, that's why I found this so brilliant because, you know, you were given the analogy of your river guide who is on, you know, she's on her, uh, kayak or wherever she's on. Right. And she stops and she listens downstream to hear. And then she takes a look and sees how she might navigate. Right. And, and then you ask this question, are you a scout soldier or are you a scout? Right? Which gets us there. Kind of move us through that, move us through that rough water. Well, I, there's a beautiful, there's a book called The Book of Beautiful Questions. Mm -hmm. And I saw this piece in the book. All right. It was talking about, are you a soldier or are you a scout? And a soldier will defend it's, it's, that's their role. A scout is looking out and looking for opportunities. And I just thought it was a really powerful um, distinction. And if, if our goal is to be a scout, um, we are, we are on the lookout. We don't, there's like you were describing so well, there is, you have to open up and start to look out. If you're just about um, defending what it is that there's a place for that, but it's na much narrower. Mm. It's much narrower. So the scout gives opportunities and options that the, that the soldier doesn't have. Well, we've done an hour. And so, uh, as, as quickly as that's gone, I know it, it is, it's, it's gone by, we've done our 
52 minutes of show. Uh, you've been, it's been fast and it's been awesome. Um, I would love to have you come back and do a second part two of this book. Would you be willing to come back? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Would you want to do that? Okay. Yeah. Cause I would love to have you come back and, and, and do the rest of this book because it's so good. And I think it's so needed in this world. And I think you have some say, tell people how they get a hold of you. So the best way is riverlogictools.com. And I have um, some of the podcasts I've been on, some of the news pieces I've been on, but I also have some ex excerpts from my book. And um, I'm starting to create once a month what I'm calling River Logic Tips. So you will, you will, you will get the River Logic Tips every month. Yeah. Um, thank you. Stay with me. Will you? First of all, I want to just say thanks to everybody who's written into the show. Uh, by the way, I'm talking about you and, and um, there's positive comments out there. So first of all, thanks to everybody who's watching and listening, right? If you were watching on DBTV, tell the station manager, gosh, I really like the show. If you're listening to us by podcast, give us a positive review. That really helps us a bunch. And so I really appreciate that. Folks, we're going to be back next week. But what I say to you every week is this, right? You're in control of three things. Your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. The fact of the matter is, I know your circumstances can be tough, they can be difficult, but you still can always have the choice of controlling your attitude, how much effort and excellence you're going to give at any given time, and getting back up again, even though I know that you can get hit and be knocked down, but you can do it. And I have confidence because I believe in you. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest. It's going to be another great book. It's going to be another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you had a lot of choices. You chose us. Thank you. And ciao, every gonna change you can find the strength to go a different way yeah the time has come your dreams will take you places you have never been before find your passion find your strength